You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahaven.com. Welcome to Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange, the podcast between myself, Arthur Parkinson, and Sarah Raven. Today, Sarah isn't with me, but instead I'm joined by Linda Smith of Waterside Nurseries, which some of you may know the name of due to them exhibiting at Chelsea Flower Show occasionally. They're the amazing stand with a wonderful, almost jacuzzi-like orgy of gorgeous pond plants in the Grand Marquis. And it's a really sad fact that within the British Isles, 90% of our wetlands have been lost in the past 100 years. So gardens really can make a difference by including ponds in their design. I started gardening with aquatic plants when I was little. Water lily is one of the first flowers that I noticed and admired. And I remember buying my very first one as a dormant little bit of root from Morrison's when I was about 11. So I'm very keen to talk to Linda today about water lilies and how wonderful a pond can be for attracting wildlife into the garden and the wonderful tapestry of water plants that we can all have in our gardens, whether they're small gardens or large gardens. So hello, Linda. Hello. Nice to be here. Thank you for joining me. As a gardener and nurserywoman, how much time... Do you spend with your hands in water rather than soil then? Mixed, really, because yeah. the plants that we are dealing with are potted into soil. So what we're mm. doing is not sending out bare root plants. We are sending out plants rooted into the aquatic compost in a basket. So therefore, we're both looking after the plants in water but also potting them up on a constant basis and propagating in one way or another, division or etc. So, bit of both. Bit of both. And then your your plants are, are mail ordered out, obviously without water, but in in boxes. I've had them from you in the past, and they're normally wrapped in straw, and they they survive, don't they, in the post for a few days. Well, yes, we we wrap everything sort of carefully in sort of newspaper damp newspaper so that it that it does maintain its its sort of characteristic sort of dampness during transit and doesn't dry out we then do have to wrap quite carefully so that it doesn't wet the cardboard box because that wouldn't really be very successful soggy cardboard doesn't (laughs) go well through the couriers (laughs) so we uh we do have to keep the wet inside the box but yes we we send out the ready rooted baskets via mail order from from the nursery and when when did the nursery start because i've known about you for quite a quite some time i mean i remember being you know 11 and i think i sent off for your mail order catalog the nursery started back in 1995 to be honest when my kids went to school and it's it's grown yeah. from a, a sort of a small hobby business of mine through to basically occupying an acre and uh, employing 12 people. Wow. So you you obviously had a passion for your own pond. How did it lead from that to a business? Well, I did have a have a passion and we had a stream running through the garden and people used to visit and say how lovely it was and they didn't understand how to do things in wet areas. 
Mm. And I have to say, neither did I when I started. And gradually I worked out that this sort of stream flooded and when it flooded, moist plants were no good because they obviously didn't want to be flooded. So for a certain area of it, I had to sort of learn what would survive itself because 25 years ago there wasn't the amount of knowledge that there now is available on websites. Websites Mm. really were not a thing. You could buy books, but I was sort of developing and exploring my own ideas and realised that I had to use effectively sort of pond plants for the edge that was going to flood up that was constantly in this water zone of of the stream at the bottom and and gradually I sort of got this looking right and people kept saying oh can I have a bit of this and a bit of that and oh you ought to sell this you know you could you could go out and etc mm-hmm. etc so at the start I went out with a trestle table into some of the very small plant shows that were around in the 1990s and um over time, it's it's just moved on from there, one thing after another. Slightly mm. bigger shows, four-day shows, up to the RHS shows, etc. And then about 2010, the websites, well, about eight, nine, the first website, I think. 2008, the first website came into being. So what what is it like transporting, you know, your water lily that you've been nurturing for Chelsea to be at peak flowering how how on earth did you transport something like that in the back of a van from where you are into London and then into a a show scene like Chelsea I find it extraordinary so to actually put up the exhibit yeah not always the easiest but the water lilies we used to take in black crates deep black crates nurseries often have black crates around and ours of course have no slatted bottoms ours yeah I'm gonna say they're obviously ones that aren't gonna (laughs) Allow air <laughs> yeah exactly they're, they're they're solid and we've got some deep ones that we used to carry the lilies around in so you you literally put well, we used upside down empty pots just so that the lily didn't bang about mm. so that you wouldn't crush the leaves because of course as soon as you crushed a leaf yeah that had to come off it was never any good for chelsea etc etc so you just load up very, very carefully. Mm. I don't know why. I always imagined you sort of transporting these things almost like bags of goldfish when you buy them at the aquatic centre somehow. Uh, um, but it's, yeah. yeah, if we were selling a lily at a show, mm. we would have them in plastic bags, right, yes. Yeah. So mm. if we were selling, but the very act of putting them in and taking them out of a plastic bag can be quite damaging. Mm. So we found that the more successful way of transporting them for the show exhibit itself was allowing them just to sort of sit there with the leaves and, and maybe flower and bud stems yes. sitting over the top of, of the uh, upturned pots. Mm. Let, let's let's focus on water lilies because they are sort of like pond plant royalty. I'm sure you sell more water lilies than I'm presuming anything else. Is that, that right? That's what people really go for? Well, there's a lot of interest in oxygenating plants Mm. to keep the the pond healthy. And then we sell such a large range of marginals that we probably do overall sell more marginals because we have a a smaller range of 
water lilies, even though they do come in three sizes. Yes. I mean, we've got miniatures, then dwarfs, slightly bigger, and then pond water lilies, which mm. are for a deeper section. I feel like a Monet painter's garden, big <laughs> country, country house pond, aren't they? Yeah. Not instantly, but yes. No, no. <laughs> they are quite slow growing. Mm. Yeah. Is that is that something people get wrong about how to nurture a, a newly bought water lily when they get it home it's not a case of just plonking it in your pond is it you have to sort of lower it down as it gets bigger don't you Robin? well it depends what time of year you've bought it mm. because if you're buying it say any time prior to may from about well let's do it in seasons if you bought it in spring Yep. The plant is still quite dormant when the water is cold because mm. it's warm water, sunshine, that makes the plant respond. So in February, March, January, February, March, April, the plant is, is very small. You're not going to get much leaf. So you can put it straight down to almost the level that you want it to grow from. We never right. suggest it goes right down to the full depth straight away because the more sunshine it sees in other words if you can get it a little bit raised up then mm. the more more quickly it will respond to you so in springtime you can put it quite deep right the issue about lowering it comes into practice when the leaves have reached the surface of the water because if they've reached the surface in the water of the nursery then they are capable of breathing through that top surface of that leaf mm. so you don't then want to to drop that drown leaf. the leaf yeah. yeah because effectively you've you've lowered it below where it was breathing mm. a few days before so in that instance you want to keep the dry surface the top surface of the leaf on the water level and as long as that's down below any sort of potential frost and ice level say just at the cusp of april may then we would leave it there right. for that season rather than constantly asking it to go lower and lower yeah. two, three, four, five times a year. Mm. If you leave it there that first year and then move it down in the autumn because right. that way you're moving it down the following spring, it will come up to the surface all in one go. Yeah, and it's not spending loads of energy getting back to the, the surface being yeah, moved. Yeah, that's the principle. Yeah. That's so, the principle, yeah. yes. Okay, great. So That's quite a tricky one to explain yeah. to customers, so, especially yeah, in, a, in a leaflet, because you try and say, well, lower than ice level, because the water lily doesn't want to get caught in ice. No, no. But dependent on what time of year you're buying mm. and how far in advance the leaf is, it alters what you want the customer to do. Yes. So, I mean, your, your water lilies are all hardy aren't they they will as long as they're below the ice level of a pond freezing over they will survive the the british winter won't they yes if as long as they're put in the right place and each mm. plant should have a ticket with it that says so many inches or centimeters of water above the top of the basket so a water lily should never be floating about on the top surface some people sort of throw them in but that's that's wrong <laughs> you shouldn't have them yeah or sometimes about. A, a koi carps nudge them out what's, oh. your, what's your opinion on koi and goldfish with your water lilies have you got any goldfish on in the nursery at all 
No. Not one. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, no, we're not fans of, of koi. They can be quite destructive. And, mm. yes, they can uproot lilies and they can also sort of knock over some of the marginal plants if they're yes. in a pond. You do have to build the pond especially for the koi and and make sure that your your koi are properly looked after in order to keep mm. both together. Yeah, I was always told that a few little 99p goldfish are fine and whenever I have had a container pond, I've had to have two of those just to eat the mosquitoes. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I've found a small container pond does become mozzy larvied up. I don't know if you've got any suggestions. No, other than, well, I tend to say one small fish. You never know if two small fish can become slightly more, slightly quickly. Um, <laughs> dependent. I know, I just one small fish seems so sad, Linda. <laughs> I know, but otherwise you can have 20 small fish quite quickly. I suppose you could have one goldfish and a, a peach, a little slice of tinned peach to keep it company, couldn't you? Something. <laughs> My mum had just one and I did end up having to sneakily put her another one in because I said I, I can't look at this little fish on her own anymore my mum's got mm. a tiny little barrel of a pond and with her two goldfish and the, the old water lily from my childhood in it but one thing we should mention regarding water lilies is they don't like do they moving water they like a still pond don't they they like a still pond because if they have a fountain or waterfall splashing over the top of them mm. Again, if we go back to my analogy of the, the leaf breathing through the surface, if that leaf is constantly being bombarded by water from above, splashing, mm. then you are effectively again sort of affecting the top surface of the leaf and, and not allowing it to breathe through right. the stomata of that leaf. So that's the problem. It's not just a gentle flow through if you could could get it sort of going sideways that's not going to cause problems mm. it's the it's the, the splashing from above yeah, yeah. okay yeah. so you could have you could happily have a little one of those little bubble fountains yeah just a, a little geezery type thing that just sends ripples out yeah so ripples are okay and that would be helpful to keep the mosquitoes away wouldn't it i think that's the key Bit yeah. of movement. Bit of movement. It's okay. It's splashing. Yeah. So have you got, could you give me, Linda, a favourite water lily from the three categories you sell? You know, say I've got a little container pond. What's your favourite, what you'd call the, the dwarf water lilies, which are very well behaved and have nice little flowers and little lily pads for a small pond? Well, the smallest, the smallest group is the miniatures. Hmm. So they probably have leaves about an inch wide and flowers not much bigger. And they won't get bigger than a side plate, effectively, oh, wow. six to eight inches across, max, mm. whole plant. Yeah. So that would be a miniature. My favourite would be, I think, the it's a really pale, pale yellow. That's Pygmaea helvola. Mm. So that would be my favourite miniature. So that would be good for like, a, say I'd got a dolly tub and I was going to turn that into a container pond, it would be quite good in that sort of size pond, would it? It would for that surface area. Mm. I'm not sure how deep your dolly tub might be. Dolly ah, tubs yeah. can be quite... They can be deep, so it has to be, be raised deep. up. It would, yes, a, because yeah. 
miniature in size, scale and width also goes miniature distance from mm. the top of the basket to the water level as well. Yeah. In other words, a miniature would want to probably have about six to eight inches of water over the top of the basket, 15 okay. to 20 centimetres. Mm. So normally you wouldn't get six inches of ice in this country. And if you knew you were in a bad area, then you'd have to have extra protection. So we're yeah. assuming in that six inches that you're not going to get ice around the top of the basket or mm. the crown of the plant. Yeah. Because it's a rhizome, isn't it, what the, the water lily grows up from? It's almost yes. like a it's basically almost like a tuber under the under the water, isn't it? That's what yeah. you're dealing yeah. with. Yes. And so that's what you've got to protect from ice. Yes. It will go mushy if it's if it's in ice. Okay. So you you need to keep it in water. Mm. So helvola, pygmy mm. helvola for my favourite miniature. That's a pale Lovely. yellow. And say I had a slightly bigger garden, wanted to dig a pond and, you know, have a traditional garden pond What, what for that kind of pond. Something oh, that's you're not missing out the it. dwarfs. You don't, Am uh, I missing out the dwarfs? Dwarfs. Dwarfs are between. <laughs> also, we've done pygmy and now we're doing dwarfs. I do yes. <laughs> so now we're going are... up a... Upper, and we're going up a level because we have the we have the tiny one that's the size of a side plate, right. and the dwarfs will get to about um, eighteen inches across, twelve okay. to twelve to eighteen inches across. The the lily pads or the whole plant. The whole plant. The okay. Lily pad will be about uh, two inches five centimeters. I think I'm right in my conversion. Yes, that's about right. Lovely. Favorite one from those then. Oh. ZFA, the red, it's a really early flowering one. Mm. So if you're going to get flowers early on with that one. Yeah. So what? How? What? what is an early water lily then? What, mid-June or? Yeah, May-June. We used to have to force them for Chelsea. Oh, really? In very heated tunnels, yes, to get them. Oh, what, polytunnels with heat lamps or? No, just polytunnels with closed doors. We have no heat lamps. Okay. Polytunnels and closed doors. (laughs) Ah. Lovely. Well, I suppose you could even have a a pond in a polytunnel. Why not? Don't see why not. You can. People also put container ponds into conservatories. Yeah, lovely idea. Which can work quite nicely because if they're heating their conservatory for themselves, Mm. then it never goes cold in the winter. So we've done miniature pygmy and now we're on to kind of meat. Now you get to your pond one. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So traditional dug-in pond with shelves. Traditional dug-in pond or raised pond, either way. Something around... Probably an eighteen-inch base, something like that. And again, proportionally, if you're going to go eighteen inches down, you can probably go eighteen inches or two foot across for the whole plant. Your favourite was James Bryden. Yes, I do like that one too. Yeah, I do too. It can depend on what mood I'm in. Sometimes I like the uh, the paler ones. I'm not so keen on the whites, I have to say, no. but a lot of people love the white, and of course the native is white. Yes, that Beatrix Potter used to go and see at the Lake District. 
the yeah. fact that yeah, I mean that is the it, that is the native color, but I don't tend to like those so much. Mm. I think some of the pinks are possibly my favorite. Things like Darwin, which are a, a palish pink, mm, nice, or Mrs. Richmond, which is a bit tonal, bit um, she can get quite red in the center, but quite pale on the outside. Mm. Beautiful sounding. So that's your nice back garden size pond. Yeah. What about if I say was lucky enough to have a boating lake, mm-hmm. wanted islands of some? <laughs> like you want Monet more than did. one at a time. You want groups of then. Oh, okay. And probably with a, a leaf pad about in a mature one about six inches across, uh, fifteen centimeters. Then I would probably have to say the biggest leaf pads are Gladstoniana. That's mm-hmm. a white, but it is big yeah. leaf pad. And Attraction, which is yeah. a strong red. And uh, Maliacea carnea, which is a very pale pink. Yeah, so all of these, a moorhen can skip across, can't she, quite yeah. easily. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it's that kind of country estate, beefy, big lake. So they'll take, I mean, we sell, we sell water lilies to people with, say, four five meter ponds four mm. by four meter by four meter five meter by five meter and they still yeah. need those bigger lilies mm. in order to get the necessary cover across the top of the pond yeah talk to me about that because i was am i right in thinking that by early summer you should be approaching 50 percent leaf cover across the water is that incorrect yep no, that's right. Fifty to sixty percent in the height yeah. of summer, just to give shade, keep the water cool, and uh, generally keep the quality of of the water good. Yeah. So that reduction in sunlight reduces green water, or is it algae spores in the water? Yes. Generally, it it helps to keep that at bay because the green algae, like every other plant, needs light to grow yep so if you've blocked out half the light that is one mm. method of or, or one contributory factor to controlling the algae yeah and when it comes to your water lilies flowering the one the sad thing is these gorgeous flowers which i think are more beautiful than dahlias they do only last two three days don't they before they close up and go soggy what's your tip on knowing whether it's a spent flower or a flower to bloom so if it's a spent flower and you're not sure whether to the, to, to remove it before mm. it falls to the bottom, because of course you don't want decaying the rotting matter stem. In your pond. Yeah, you don't want the decaying matter down the bottom. No. So if you can reach for a start, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you give it you give it a small squeeze and the spent flower will squirt water at you. Mm. And the yet to come will be firm yeah but you have got to get close enough in order to do that before mm. you'll know good well i think that's i think that's water lilies kind of covered which are the most in my opinion the glamorous but equally important when you're talking about what you sell the most of are your oxygenation marginals aren't they which are vital for the whole pond to sort of knit together almost like an herbaceous border isn't it when you're selecting Oh yeah, characters from each category. 
one category alone wouldn't give you a balanced pot. No. You're right. No. Yeah. So would you say to somebody who's setting up their first pond, you've really got to focus on, you know, your marginals first, or is it your oxygenators, or is it both for vital pond health? If somebody comes in with a limited budget, mm. then we would say oxygenators and water lilies first. Yep. But we try and provide people with a, a complete package um, yeah. at a budget that they can afford, even if they get a package that's slightly too small for their size of pond, because what we sell is like a, a starter kit, yes, which is a template kit, if you like, that spreads the marginal plant growth out across the season, and it provides for different wildlife groups, you know, uprights for dragonflies, rafting horizontal growth plants for newts and and cover yeah because they like to lay their eggs in leaves don't they the newts they curl the eggs into leaves. that's right they 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 wrap the newly laid egg with their back legs into a Mm. small leaf that's around early early on in the year sort of april time so that's usually things like uh, watercress and forget-me-not maybe Veronica Beckabunga as well. Is that the water forget-me-not? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Is, is that, does that look like the common garden forget-me-not? Are they both yeah. blue? Or, yeah. Yes. Well, we, we've got a blue and a white oh. in, in the forget-me-not range. Lovely. And speaking of, of newts and the amphibians and lovely things that a, you know, a pond built into the ground will attract, how important is it to do what people would call a a beach area of the pond that slopes, you know, gradually down into the deeper depths. Is that something that you'd always tell people to do so animals like hedgehogs and things can access it easily? It is, and also so that some of your uh, frogs and and newts and things can, can get in reasonably smoothly. Yeah. But a beach that totally cobbles all the way up for... I don't know, three, four foot, can be a bit of a predator heaven as well because, of course, they need to be able to hide under plants rather than just have a a complete area of, you know, cobble, which can be hot in the summer without any protection from the waiting blackbird. Ah, Um, yeah, a good point. So you do sometimes need to have a beach but clad it as well with some of the plants that actually can have their feet in water. Mm. But they can get still give hidey holes. Yeah. As this beach comes out of the pond, you need to be able to give them protection as well. Mm. My aunt, when I was little, had a really lovely pond surrounded with lots of big boulders. And then under the boulders, she'd put hessian sheeting that concealed the liner. But it allowed frogs to go under the hessian. And the hessian really quickly greened up. And it looked, it really masked the liner well. Yeah, there's lots of different ways of doing it. People tend to make the the beach area a bit stark and, yeah. and they really should try and bring plants down through and into that beach and and create a bit of cover, even if they do it with a beach of cobbles, but randomly placed logs laid yes. out across nice it. Logs. You know, just sort of breaking up the, the the cobblestone edge but but also then allowing places to 
to hide under. Mm. And l- the nice thing about logs and things coming up out of the water, it means birds are going to naturally be able to land on there, aren't they, and take a drink. And yeah, logs, a log sound good to me. Nice logs with all irises growing through them. And yeah, I can picture that. Yeah, but softening it, not not Soften. too harsh, not too much hard landscaping around no. the edge. You can easily make it look like it's a zoo enclosure, can't you? Yeah. And it does make the uh, water creatures a bit vulnerable. Mm. Yeah. So sticking with, with plants that are good for the water, get, ensuring water purity and health, and that are also good for oxygen for animals within the pond, what things should people add that are going to be really helpful for, for that? Um, well, you're going back to the balance again between mm. oxygenating plants and the number of oxygenating plants that you would put into a pond, which which we always recommend sort of two portions per metre square of surface area. So you're balancing your oxygenator quantity with the 50% surface cover that you mentioned and then trying to have something that comes into flower at different parts of the season. So you're always trying to drag surplus nutrient out of the pond all throughout the growing, the the high weather temperature times of year. Mm. So it is a, a balance of a total package. Mm. Is Elodia good? I remember I worked at Pets at Home for a time and Elodia was the most popular thing for fish tanks and it always used to come in looking really healthy and beautiful glowing green. But it's quite an ornamental oxygenator, is it? It's hornwort probably better if you want something that's really going to be good for your, your wildlife. Elodia in the terms of Elodia crisper is now a banned plant in, in oh, this country. It? They yeah. might be selling that at pet well, they shouldn't be. They, they shouldn't are. be selling that. They may be selling one of the other Elodias, but they're all a bit closely related for my liking. Yeah. We don't sell any Elodias at all. Right. Okay. They became banned by the EU back in, I think they were one of the originals in 2006. Really? Gosh. I mean, for anyone that watched The Green Planet, and I don't know if you did, Linda, that amazing footage of the huge Amazonian water lilies and all these floating water hyacinths and water lettuce, these really fast-growing, exotic, tropical wetland plants. There was a scene in that where they were all fighting over the surface of this flooded Pantanal marsh and that really speeded up showed you how quickly tropical water plants grow so I wasn't surprised and you must watch that if anyone hasn't on BBC iPlayer it's very good so you're I suppose you maybe started selling those plants did you and now you you well, don't yes originally we we did sell Elodia because it was a reasonable oxygenator we also used to sell water hyacinth many, many years ago because that too is banned now. Yes. Because, of course, it can run the mock in, in hot countries. It really We does. never had a problem with it in this country because it never used to survive our winters because it used to float on the top mm. and... Freeze to death. Yeah. It, it, it yeah. had its roots cut off from its body, basically, um, <laughs> in, the, in the cold frosts and ice. So that was a, a bit of an issue for... For us, we quite liked mm. it. I quite secretly like it too. It's fun to squeeze the little bladders full of air. But also it's quite useful in a new pond where your water lily isn't maybe up to speed mm. and growing it as big as you want it to because you put a water lily in, it's not going to be full size for 
no. number of years. But no, that's that's not allowed anymore. That's so scrapped. we we can we cannot talk about that one. Yeah. <laughs> the one that actually people get it quite confused with is the water hawthorn. Yes. Which I actually do love from South Africa, which is the winter flowering equivalent of a water lily. Flowers from sort of March to May time. And uh, that gives surface cover across the pond early springtime, so before the water lilies. Mm. And that one, again, we find quite useful in terms of balancing the pond because it allows us to have flower with a lovely scent, actually. Hawthorn, oh, really? Hawthorn oh. scent on it, smashing. Oh, beautiful. And long leaves across the surface early in the season. So mm. that's quite nice as a complement to the water lilies. So we've tended to, to suggest that to people now rather than... More exotic, naughty things. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, no, they're they're off book now. They're off radar. Yeah. So. Off radar. So anywhere that's selling them, there shouldn't be. And you won't find any from Linda. You, <laughs> the trouble is people still call Hawthorns hyacinths. They get the H in their heads yes. and, and that's it. They, they're, it they're is off where on the, the common names one. cause trouble, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, particularly with pond plants. I do notice that a lot. I suppose the group I'd, I'd like to end on squeezing because time is racing away. We could go on and on. Are the, the water irises because I've always loved them. And like water lilies, they're quite iconic of, of ponds. But they would be on a shelf, wouldn't they, Linda? So they like to be paddling uh, very much so. Yes. Uh, the the true water iris, um, mm. Pseudochorus, the Versicolor and the Louisianas, will all sit on a shelf with anything between two and four inches, which is uh, five and ten centimetres of water above the basket. So mm. we send out irises in four-inch 10 centimetre baskets. I have to keep converting myself back and forwards. So, you know, a, sh- a shelf at around the sort of six, eight inch, 15, 20 centimetre mark would, would work well. And what are your favourite varieties? I like um, black gamecock, but I've got a feeling that prefers being in a bog garden, doesn't it? Than in, in the no, black gamecock will do fine in a pond, oh, but it'll, good, do, I'll get one it'll do great in a, in a bog garden as well. Right, because actually, a, a really wet bog garden is really just a, a pond plant, but one that will allow itself to have frost across the the top of the crown in 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 winter. Okay, that's the difference. Yeah, well, some pond plants for the shelves will demand slightly more water over the top of the basket, mm. and that is to protect the plant against the cold. Yeah. So black game cock and. And any that you like or that I don't know? Well, one of my fern favourites, but one we have to divide and propagate ourselves because uh, it's a really unique one, is uh, Mysterious Monique, Versicolor. Mm, Mysterious Monique. It's a, it's a dark purple, almost velvet-like finish, which we came across many years ago, and we have to propagate sort of quite regularly so I'm afraid it does spend a reasonable amount of time not available because as soon as we uh, start to sell it we realize we're selling through too many we have to say sorry got to stop and make oh, some more keep a few back <laughs> we have to keep some back for divisions yes 
Because it's an exclusive to you. Well, I'm not saying it's exclusive, but we wouldn't be able to buy it in and know that genuinely we had this, we had that variety and until we'd sort of had it a, a bit and seen it flower, etc. So mm. we do protect our own stock and then divide from that. I mean, mm. most of our stock comes from within the nursery. We keep yes. seed from our existing plants and sow that or we divide our own plants as we go so we're pretty much self-sufficient but of course you you can't say that 100% because sometimes you run you're selling too much almost yeah in, in a yeah, way to, to keep be able some to back keep to up. keep your little Noah's Ark of, of pond plants haven't you yeah. are you going to be at Chelsea this year no no we've stopped doing shows now we've found mm. that the mail order website has yeah. um, taken off it's a wonderful website. All the plants we've spoken about are on there with really lovely, helpful photos and guides as to what size pond they'll suit and what purpose in the pond they will serve. So do check out Waterside Nursery. I love I love shopping for them. I'm often posting out pond plants to various people who've got little ponds in their gardens with no plants in. So you're a good plant present website in my book. <laughs> Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Linda. I could go on and on, and I think we'll have to have you back to talk about more aspects of water gardening and certainly bog gardens too. But good luck with the the coming growing season. I hope it's not too hot for you. At the minute, I could do with a bit of warmth. but could you? Uh... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, warmth and a little bit of rain. I wish you a good, a good season ahead, and thank you for coming on. Thank you very much then, Arthur. Thanks for listening to this episode of Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange. Next week, Sarah will be back with me and we're both going to be in the cutting garden, cutting flowers for summer parties to take to friends and family. But we're going to be talking about how we can condition those flowers to make sure they last so they arrive at friends' houses and parties looking as fresh as they looked as we picked them from the garden. So join us then for an episode all about making sure our flowers don't flop. You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahaven.com.